What's up, Grace Church? Uh, my name is Sean. <laughs> What's up? My name is Sean Sears. I'm the uh, lead pastor here, and I'm really thankful that you guys, we have leftover eggnog in the back, and I just finished it. So, uh, actually, that's completely true. No, it's not at all. I'm just kidding. Uh, I am glad that you guys are here. This is the second week of a three-week series that we're calling Better Together. Uh, so, whether you are uh, from Avon, uh, Braintree, Bridgewater, uh, watching online, we don't even care. We're just glad you're a part of this service with us. Uh, the Bridgewater location uh, is shut down for the weekend because the schools uh, went ahead on Friday and, and called all weekend activities off. Uh, so they'll be spread out throughout our services in, in Avon over the weekend. Uh, and I think they are only, uh, believe it or not, three weeks away from their grand opening. Is that awesome or what? Yeah. <laughs> So if you've driven by the Hockamock Plaza on 106 in West Bridgewater, uh, our church's name is up there on the sign. Uh, we, we, we got top billing above liquors, so that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the Holy Spirit is more important than those spirits, I guess. Uh, I'm sorry, I tried really hard. I wasn't prepared. I was just kind of winging that one. I could wordsmith that a little bit better. Uh, but that, that's, anyway. Uh, so now we've got electricity in the building. The plumbing is done. The sheetrock is up. The tape and float is done. Um, I, I'm going to be there this next week because I can cut a straight line uh, with a cutting brush uh, with, without tape, by the way. I just want to put that out there. That, uh, I don't brag about much. I have really pretty feet. I do. I have, I have, I have pretty feet. Um, that's a Sears trait. I have beautiful feet. Uh, like if you look up feet in the dictionary, it's going to have a picture of my foot in there. That's, I'm just saying. And I can cut a straight line with a paintbrush. Like, I, like if, if preaching wasn't my thing, painting would be. Uh, just Not that that's any of your business. I'm just saying. But if, if, like you got, if you got like cutting game, right? Like if you got game as a painter or if you can lay tile, uh, like kind of the tile that we have in, all, in, in our locations where it's those carpet squares that goes on that like it never dries, that rubber cement that's under there. Like if you can, if you can do that kind of stuff, if you're good at putting like doorknobs on door, you know, door, door slabs, uh, like if you can do that kind of stuff, uh, send us an email. Actually send an email to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's, let's flood Pastor Ken's inbox this week. Send an email to Ken at That's Grace. He ain't got nothing to do with this. Let's just do it for fun, though, all right? Uh, Ken at That's Grace. And put in the subject line, uh, I can help at Hockamock or something like that, right? And then uh, we'll make sure that you, you get on the schedule for one of the uh, days this week if you can help us out uh, over the next two weeks. Actually, that would, that would be really, really awesome. Uh, anyway, we're going to get into the scriptures. Uh, and, and primarily, the, this, the first three weeks of, of, the, of this year that we're doing this Better Together series, uh, the target audience for this teaching or the people that we know this applies to most are probably those who've already decided whether or not they're going to spend their life following the ways of Jesus. And we know that that's not everybody here at Grace Church. In fact, that's one of the things I love most about our church family is that one, almost one out of four of you guys will self-identify as somebody who's not quite sure yet where you're at spiritually. And we love that this church, at least for you, has been a good enough place for you to kind of figure out where you're at spiritually. So like that's, that's something that we, we really, really like about this church 
church family, and said, if you're not religious, like, like we're cool with you here, and I think everybody else is too, so thank you guys for coming, and, and our hope is at some point, uh, you decide, who, like, who got, like, like, for yourself, like, okay, I'm, I'm all in with this, and that you let go of the sin that is in you to be made, to be made right with God, and in this Better Together series, we talked about this last week, spiritually speaking, the Bible says that we're born spiritual orphans, and that we're disconnected from God because we have a human father. And Romans chapter 5 says that in Adam all have sinned. So we inherit a sin gene from our fathers. So are we sinners by nature or by nurture? And truthfully, it's a little bit of both. Like we learn bad habits, but truthfully, some of these things are born into us. And like they're saying, well, there's, there's like some people are born this way and born like, like it's, so I don't have a problem if people are born with a particular type of sin because the Bible says we're all born with sin. And I don't think it matters what type of sin we're born with. We just have it. Like we're born with a natural bent towards selfishness. You don't have to teach a baby to punch, hit, and say no. They automatically do that. You have to teach them to act contrary to their nature, which is to be generous and helpful and truthful. It's not the way that we're, I don't believe in the clean, the Bible doesn't teach a clean, clean slate theory. So we're born with a natural disposition towards ourselves with our nose kind of bent away from God. And, and truthfully, while everyone is, is, is created in the image of God, not everybody is a child of God yet. The Bible says that though to those who believe in Jesus and receive him into their life, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God, even to those who call up, to, who believe in his name, is what the Bible says. And we read that verse last week where it said that if you turn from your disobedience towards God and your selfishness towards others to begin following after Jesus, he says, then I will adopt you as my sons and daughters. And what's awesome is that the language God uses to refer to us in our new relationship with him is in relationship with other people who are doing the exact same thing. Like none of us were created to live an isolated life. Uh, I, I, I don't want to get into it because I've, I've shared this story many times and, and I think it would be like it, it's getting old, but middle school was, was, was brutal for me because of a, uh, they, uh, a misunderstanding of, of who I was. There was a, a weird, this is back in like 1981 and don't do the math, um, uh, now you're doing the math, uh, I'm almost 50 and I got closer this past week, um, so I'm like one year away. Uh, from prime time is what I'm going to call 50. It's going to be prime time for me. Uh, I've already got a hip replacement and everything. It ain't nothing like prime time. But I'm just saying. It's mental, mental, mental attitude, right? Uh, in any case, I was, I was in middle school, and I got dropped off at a new school. And while all of the other sixth graders were walking across the parking lot to go into the cafeteria, they saw that there was going to be a new kid that day, and they looked into the office and saw me sitting on the couch because the office ladies wouldn't let me go to class. They said, well, just join your class at, at, at lunch. And while I was sitting there, this, like, I don't know if you've ever, like, Google Jesus freaks, all right? Like, back in the 70s, people who smoked a lot of weed started following Jesus and didn't change the way they dressed. So they still kind of looked like they belong at Woodstock, right? Uh, they had the, like, they were like hippie like Jesus hippies. And so this guy stopped in front of me, uh, in front of all of the other sixth graders, shook my hand and put his hand on my head, leaned in close like he was my father, but he wasn't. He was a weirdo. I think when he gets to heaven and he says weird stuff to Jesus, he's going to like, you're too much Jesus for me. Back off, dude. Like, I think Jesus might say that to this guy, but he leans in close and he goes, don't eat meat. Jesus never ate meat. And then he left. 
It was very traumatizing. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, okay. You need to brush your teeth. They thought that guy was my dad, so they made my life a living hell. The first day of school, I walked into the cafeteria, and I said, can I sit with you guys? And he said, table saved. I walked over another table. Has the eight chairs around the table. There's two kids at it. Two kids. Eight, six empty chairs. And I said, can I sit with you guys? And they said, table saved. That's there's some people laughing because they don't have a heart. There's no compassion. Probably no Holy Spirit. I want to put that out there too. No joking. Uh, but it was, it was stinking brutal. And over the next year and a half, like I went to some really dark places. And because there was suicide in my family, my family tree, my mom and dad actually started putting me into counseling. And when that wasn't helping, they switched me school systems and like all of that stuff, like, had, like I'm not lying. Like, like if you cannot be a healthy person when you don't have anybody that cares about you. Like it just doesn't work. And, and truthfully, it's not that nobody cared about me. It's, it's just that I was alone. Like I, I was, there was too much distance between me and other people. And so I got very, very unhealthy. And some of you right now, are very, very, very unhealthy because you've been keeping people at an arm's distance all this time. And I don't know how long you thought you could, you could live well doing that. And the truth is, according to the scriptures, the very first time God ever said something wasn't good, it was when Adam was alone. Like, we're creating the image of God who dwells together with himself in unity, and he created us in his image. We need to dwell with other people, and that's what God created the church as. So he uses the term brothers, and he uses family language. And so we talked about um, how this church is like an extended family. Like, this is like, um, like in my family, my last name is Sears, so this would be like, all of the Searses, but I don't know all of the Searses who have ever lived. And you don't know everybody else who's a part of Grace Church, but we share the same spiritual DNA, just like all the Searses share the same Sears DNA. Does that make sense? So in a large church, we share the same spiritual, like Father, we have the same spiritual DNA, but you can show up weekend after weekend after weekend, Show up five or ten minutes late and, you know, leave, you know, right before that last song gets, gets over and then, then hop in the car. And you could come here for years and nobody know who you are. And the danger in that is that when life gets complicated or you begin to spiritually drift, you could fall away and no one will ever miss you. So for us, we're not trying to pad our life group stats. We're trying to keep you from falling off the wagon. That's it. We know that you were created to run with a crew. And so our life groups are our attempt to give you an environment in which you can find a group of people going in the same direction as you. Now, the, the easiest way to do this is just to show up five or ten minutes early and get coffee and kind of just hang out in the, in the lobby for somebody who kind of looks like they'd be cool to talk to and say, hey, and if they say they seem kind of cool. Ask them where they're from. If, if they don't, just, hey, that's all I wanted to say. You're weird. I'm out. <laughs> like, you know how to make friends, right? Like, like, like just kind of like hang out a little bit. And truthfully, I would even cover a little bit of that in prayer. I'd, I'd like, dear God, help me to connect with a couple of people over the next couple of months. 
And you're going to be looking, like, as you get to know somebody, um, like, you see them again, you're like, all right, cool, I'm going to go say hi again, right? Like, you, you get, you've made, you, you've been in the first day of school, you know how this works, and then you're going to talk to them again, and next time they're going to see you, and you're going to go, you're going to have your coffee, and you're going to go, eh, eh, right? And then, like, you'll talk to each other after, by the way, are you guys in a life group anywhere? I've been thinking about doing that. No, no, we're not. We've been, we've been thinking about it. Well, would you guys want to, like, like, try a life group with me? Like, <laughs> Would you be my friend? I try. <laughs> that doesn't work as well. I'm just saying. But like find some, like make a friend, right? And then you and that friend go try a life group together. I think that's the, that's the easiest way probably. Uh, our life group leaders are often uh, hanging out by the Connection Center uh, after the services. And so you could just stop by and just say, uh, hey, are there any life group leaders in the, in the room wanted to just find out like where they're at? And you could stop by the, the info bar or in Braintree, you guys can go see Pastor Taylor at the front of the room or see, see Jeff uh, in, in the back of the room. Uh, in the lobby uh, uh, by, by the big green wall, and, and he'll help you out, and uh, just, just, just put yourself out there. So if, 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 being, um, if being a part of a church family was like, was like joining a gym, right, then, then life groups would be like signing up for a spin class, right, or uh, Zumba, or, and I just ran out of gym classes because apparently I don't go much, <laughs> but I'm not surprising anybody on that one. Well, just joining the gym doesn't make you fit. Like, you've got to, like, show up. And then, like, you've got to, like, like jump in, right? Like, you've got to get involved here. So if, 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 if signing up for the gym was, like, like being a part of a church family and, and, then, and then being a part of a life group was, like, finding a spin class, then what we're talking about today, growth groups, would be, like, finding a workout partner, right? Like, you, you need that. You need that, those just two or three, or, or like for me, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I was going to say, I, I don't, well, <laughs> sorry. I, I think a million thoughts in my head that I, doesn't matter. The point is, uh, I signed up, not that, <laughs> sorry. I have mental Tourette's. I don't know if I've ever shared that <laughs> with you guys at all, but did you already, you're probably like, yeah, we knew you got something going on in there. I don't know if it's even classified, but it'd be like a study on your brain. Um, but so like, like, for, like your growth group would be like your three or four guys on your old man basketball league on Thursday nights at 730, right? Like that's, that's my, that's my group. That's like three or four guys that when I show up and then I go into the gym for basketball, cause I didn't sign up for spin class or for Zumba. I signed up for old man boss, 35 and older league on Thursday nights at the Y in Stone. And that's not a promotion. I'm just saying like, like, so I signed up. That'd be like my life group, all these people in basketball, right? But then like my team, the three other guys who are on my four and four team, those would be like, like, these are the guys who like, they got my back. Like they're the guys I, I pass the ball to who never pass it back because I can't score. <laughs> um, uh, so, so when Jesus left his disciples, uh, he gave them three instructions. And what I want you to do, and this is all going to head towards life groups, I want you to go to the very first book in the New Testament. It's the book of Matthew. So if you would open up the book, your Bible, Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, here's Jesus' last instruction to his disciples. He said, therefore, he's talking to his fellas, to his boys. He says, here's what I want you to do. It's his last conversation he's ever going to have with them in person before they die and enter into the next phase of their existence and relationship with God personally for all of eternity. It's his last face-to-face -face conversation. And he says, therefore, here's his instructions. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That was the number one thing. 
I want you to go everywhere and make sure everybody gets at least one chance to turn from sin and begin following me. God genuinely loves everybody. He offered himself as a payment for the sins of the entire world. And the Bible says that anybody, anybody, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, it doesn't matter, atheist, anybody who will recognize that it is their sin inside them that keeps them separated from God and accepts that only Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection pays off the debt they've accumulated before God, who would repent of that sin? God, I'm sorry. Genuinely take this away from me. And would begin following Jesus, any single one of them would be rescued and adopted into God's family. The Bible says that God's not willing that anybody should, should perish, but that everybody repents. That's God's plan. God is not willing that anybody spends eternity separated from him. That is not his plan. And he chose us, disciples, followers of Jesus, to make sure that everybody gets a chance. One of the things I love about this church family is the number of us who begin following Jesus because we've got a friend or family member who started coming here first, who then began following Jesus, and then they asked us if we wanted to come, and then we did, and then it's begun to change our lives also. That's actually the plan that Jesus came up with. So he says, go make sure everybody gets a chance to turn from sin and begin following me. Back at it. That's the first part of the instruction. Second part of the instruction is this. Baptize them. Baptize who? The disciples. Those who turn from sin to begin following me. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's why here at Grace Church, we only baptize people who've already chosen to turn from sin and begin following Jesus. And we're not, this isn't a baptism sermon, but we don't baptize babies here at Grace Church because in the Bible, babies were never baptized. Because babies can't turn from sin to begin following Jesus. And a lot of us were baptized, and that was whose choice, ours or our parents'? It was our parents' choice, and their intention in that was that it would set us off on a trajectory to begin following God, right? But there's only so long we can live on borrowed faith before we've got to make it our own. And at some point, you can't live on mommy and daddy's faith anymore. At some point, you've got to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And then when you make that conscious choice to turn from sin and begin following, he says, now I want you to mark yourself as somebody who's putting to death your old way. I want you to bury that thing underwater, and I want you to come out. It's a symbol, just like my wedding ring is a symbol. But it matters that I wear this, right? Just like it matters that we're baptized. Jesus himself was baptized. When John the Baptist knew that this was a putting away of the sinful nature, he said, you don't need to be baptized, because he knew he didn't have any sin. And he said, I'm doing this as an example for everyone who will follow after me. And on that condition, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. He was baptized as an example for the rest of us. So that's the second part of the instruction. Third part of the instruction was this. Verse 20, Matthew chapter 28. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. What you'll see throughout the rest of the Bible is that Jesus says, if you love me, you will Keep my commandments. Your spiritual maturity is measured by your obedience to Jesus, not the time you've spent with Jesus. There's a lot of people who've been following Jesus for a long time who aren't spiritually mature. You know how I know? Because they don't obey him. Spiritual maturity throughout the entire Bible is measured not the length of time that you've been in his family, 
but how obedient you've been to him since being in it. That's the goal. Now that I'm rescued, I want you to teach them, he says, now that you're rescued, I want you to teach others who've been rescued how to actually live the way that I've instructed. Because I didn't just adopt you to put my name on your certificate. I want you to live as a part of the family. And we need to be taught how to do that. No child knows how to do this all on their own. We're taught by others how to live well. There's no difference in the family of God. That's the instructions that he gave them. That he gave them. That he gave them. And he put them into a family, to a gathering. And the, the, Greek, the German word for the gathering that they used for the word that Jesus used was ecclesia, which just meant the gathering. And we've talked about this before. And then when the Bible got translated from Greek into English, they didn't use the word gathering, and we don't know why. They actually borrowed an old, an old archaic German word, kirch, which meant gathering place. And then so the now we call it church, and we're still thinking about church as, as a building. And people will drive into our, our parking lot and all of our locations, and they'll go, this doesn't look like a church. But the church has never been the building. The church has always been the group of people. And then God has given the church a certain group of, of, of positions to help them learn to obey the teachings of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look, like, look at in Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says this. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. So they're gifts. God says, listen, I'm going to give to the church, not to the building, not to a hierarchy based in another city on another side of the planet, to the gathering of my people. And to each gathering of my people, I'm going to give them a couple of like advantages. Like, I'm going to give them a couple of like position players. And, and here's what I'm going to give them. Uh, this uh, verse, verse 11. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors are teachers. And, and my role is somewhere in there. And the next verse tells me what my job description actually is. Here's my job description. My job description, verse 12, is this. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Who's God's people? Say me. Who's God's people? Me. Right? There you go. Good job. So my job is to equip who? To do what? Uh, to equip them to do, it, it's in the verse, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do two things. To do his work. What's his work? Jesus said, the work whereunto I have been sent is to seek and to save those who are lost. The mission that Jesus had been sent on was to give everybody an opportunity to turn from their sin, to begin following after him. And the work of the ministry is that. My job is to teach you or to equip you to live in such a way that those who are farthest from God, that you're closest to, have an opportunity to know him also. And, and by the way, that is the fullest expression of your path, your journey, journey toward God. Jesus said to his disciples in, in Mark chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 4, he said this. He said, fellas, if you will... If, if you will be my, if you will follow me, I will make you a fisher of what? Men. The end result of you following me is your focus on those who don't. 
The closer you get to Jesus, the more you will love those who are farthest from him. And then Jesus spends the next three years showing them what that would look like. And he was rejected by the religious elite, and he was called a friend of publicans and sinners and prostitutes and traitors and scumbags. He became a friend to them because that's what it looked like to do the work of the ministry is to spend your time with those who are farthest from. Not in isolation. Jesus still had his crew, his 12 guys, right? He still had the 120 who became that first church in Acts chapter 1, the 120 that met in the upper room, and we talked a little bit about them last week. So he didn't live in isolation from those who were following God, but he lived on mission or on purpose towards those who were not followers of God yet. So God has given these roles to the church family, to those who are followers of God who gather together in specific gathering places like this one to help them get better at helping their friends and neighbors know and to follow Jesus also. And one other job. So I've got, I've got to equip. Who do I have to equip? Everybody say me. To do two things. Number one is to focus my life as a follower of Jesus on those who don't follow him yet. And second thing, go back to it. And build up the church. Who's the church? The building? No, the body of Christ. Who's that? The people in whom God's Holy Spirit dwells. So my job is to equip you to do two things. To live your life intentionally around those who do not share your faith. And to build each other up. It's not my job as the pastor to build you up. My job is to teach you to do that to each other. One person can't do all that. There's too many. But in this church family... There's plenty of people who can do that. And if everybody does their part, then we all grow in our relationship with God and our capacity to love those who are farthest from Him. And if we don't, then we stay a religious show for an hour and ten minutes every weekend. And that's all it is. That's all it is. We won't make a difference in the world. We won't live on mission. We won't become the church that God intends. We're just a religious show. Keep reading. Verse 13. And in verse 13, he tells us why we do this. Here's why we do this. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Here's my, I'm going to give you a formula, math formula. Ready? Unity in faith plus knowledge of Jesus equals spiritual maturity. That's what verse 13 says. Now, not unity in belief. We've talked about this before. Unity in faith. Faith is belief plus trust. Do I believe God enough to trust God enough to obey God? So here's what spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity is our collective ability to obey God. Jesus and know him. Truthfully, it'd be hard to obey him if we didn't know the things that he said. And the combination of my knowledge of Jesus and what he said and our collective ability to keep each other together accountable to what he said equals or brings our spiritual maturity, our Christ-likeness. That's what it is. So it's not our ability to pass a theology exam. 
It's our ability to obey the things we know. It's my opinion that most Christians don't need another Bible study. They need to start obeying the Bible they've already studied. We're educated beyond our level of obedience. And that's a problem. Right? We need to hold each other. Like, listen, if you got a buddy who ain't showing up to work out, you're going to give him a call. Like, hey, bro, I was there at 7 a.m. like you said. Where the heck were you? You better be there tomorrow. <laughs> or what? I have no idea. That's between you guys. But sometimes I'll show up to something simply because somebody else is there waiting on me. You ever wanted to quit something but you didn't because you didn't want to let the other person down? The truth is there are times when I've craved sin enough that I was going to do it except that I knew that I had a friend who was going to ask me if I did it or not. And I didn't want them to know that I had screwed up so I did the right thing not because I wanted to but because I didn't want to embarrass myself by being honest when they asked me about it. Is that sharing too much? I need that kind of spiritual backup and accountability. We, we all do. How will this happen? Verse 14 to 16 answers this question. Then we will, when we do this, then we will no longer be immature like, like children. I wonder if our, spiritual, if our spirituality was a life stage, what life stage would it be in? And I'm not talking about the length of time you've been following Jesus. If our spiritual maturity is measured by our faith, which is my belief enough to trust enough to obey. So if my spiritual maturity was measured by my obedience, where would you be? Would you be a toddler? Would you be? Some of us, honestly, we're like babies sitting in our own mess because we're not obedient at all to the things we already know. Some of us are, are we, we are, but we, like the things we know, we're already like, like I'm owning these and that's awesome. And you're growing aggressively because right now you're in this period of your spiritual development where you want to know more and to know more and know more. And you're, you're like, like an elementary school age kid in your faith or like a high school kid in your faith or, or like, 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 like a college, like, like man, you're like, you're, like, you're like getting good at this. You're like at the college stage, right, of your spiritual development. And some of us are like, we're like spiritually reproducing other followers of Jesus. So we're in that parenting stage. Or some of us are like, like spiritually, you could be on your 30s and still be like a wise, like a, like a wise counts, spiritual counselor because you've been walking with God. And like the more you know, the more you've realigned your life to fit what you know. And there's some of you who are 30 who are more spiritually mature than those of you who are 50. And there's like, like I, we're not comparing, like I, we talked about this last week. My, my job isn't to compare where I am versus where you are. My job is to compare where I am to where I was. And if I ain't grown up at all, then man, the reason for this might not be that I don't know enough Scripture. It might be that I'm lazy with the Scripture I already know. And I need backup. I need somebody who's going to call me when I skip the gym. I need somebody who's going to call me and ask me, Sean, are you serving your wife like you should? Sean, are you, are you being generous towards other people? Are you handling your finances with integrity? Is there anybody in your life that you're unwilling to forgive because they've hurt you? Like, I need some, and I don't want that asked at life group. I don't want everybody in spin class knowing all my business. I'll be friends with everybody in spin class, 
There's only two or three of them I want to have that kind of access. But I need somebody who's going to call me on my stuff that I've been bluffing in front of everybody else. Or I'll keep faking it. And this is about me. Probably about you too. We can fake this real easy. We will not be in, we won't, won't verse 14. We'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, what will happen? We will speak the truth in love. That's, when you're having to add in love, then there's a hard truth you had to speak to me. I need somebody who can speak the kind of truth to me I don't want to hear. And it needs to be somebody that I feel genuinely loves me or I'm not going to respond well. Who is that for you? What person do you spiritually respect? Not because they're so much farther ahead, than, but you just know their heart's aimed in the right direction. That you would allow to say something truthful to you that hurt just a little bit. John Maxwell, the guru on leadership, said, People who lead themselves well know a secret. They can't be trusted. Right? Was it Socrates who said, Know thyself? <laughs> John Maxwell says, Those who become self-aware will become more aware of how much their self is broken and can't be trusted. Truthfully, the one who lies to me more than anybody else is me. I can rationalize any horrible behavior I want to rationalize. And I need somebody who will call me out on that crap. In Acts, they met together in homes for the Lord's Supper, prayer, to meet each other's needs. In Ephesians, they meet with each other in smaller environments where they have the opportunity to speak truth and love. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, and we're not going to take the time to look at it right now, but in your life groups, you guys will this, this next week. But in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, it's the holiness inside of me that determines the quality of life around me. We've been focused so, focused so much on the outside while the inside is so neglected, and we can't figure out why we can't get all this fixed. And Jesus said, because the inside is full of dead men rotting bones, that's why. You stink like rotting meat on the inside. While on the outside, you're all super polished and pretty. He says, honestly, in, the, in Matthew chapter 23, you're like a coffin. Beautiful and polished and ornate on the outside, but rotting with maggots on the inside. He says, that's what we're like. He said, I tell you what. Forget the outside for a little bit and clean up the rottenness on the inside and see what happens to the outside. That's what he says the problem is. This is talked about in many different places in the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 7, 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And, and I'm not a knife sharpener guy. But I've, I've seen that grinding wheel, right, that we've all seen in medieval movies where they pumping that wheel and that stone's turning and they're, they're running that blade along there. And this, that, that can't be comfortable for the blade, right? It's grinding it. It's, it's hot. It raises the temperature. Like it's, it's tough. 
but it's what's best for the knife to stay sharp. So the truth is, I need a friend who's going to grind a little bit, going to grind me, going to rub, like, like cause friction in this relationship a little bit because I, if without this friction, I, I stay dull. Like if I'm going to get to be the guy that God always intended me to be, then I've got somebody who needs to say, Sean, your marriage is dull and you need to work on this. Sean, your finances are out of order and you need to work on this. Sean, you're, like you've been, are you spending appropriate time in the meaningful relationships of your life? Are you putting too much time at work and not enough time at home? Are you being cool to your roommate or are you being a jerk? Like, do you serve and put the needs of others ahead of your own? I need somebody who's going to ask me this stuff or I don't stay sharp. Lance Witt wrote a book called Replenish that is kicking my stinking tail, and I highly recommend it. He was a pastor for a lot of years, and now he's a, a mentor and discipler of other pastors. Lance Witt, in his book Replenish, said this. I need people who love me enough to protect me from myself. People who love me too much to let me hurt myself and others. But the only way they will honestly show up with the hard stuff in my life is if I aggressively and openly embrace it. I've got to welcome, search for this, and then ask for it, and then receive it when they gave it, or else I stay broken. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 26 says, an honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. I'll say that it's a strategic advantage to have a few people who love me enough to tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. And let me ask, who do you have right now in your life who's a devoted follower of Jesus who's going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear? And maybe this is why you're stuck. A tough, honest talk with someone I trust can save my life like a tough, honest talk with my doctor who exposes and removes the cancer. The pain is short, but the gift is long. So what we have to help with this are growth groups. We don't have enough for everybody in either location that we're meeting in this weekend, but we have some of these hard copies. And this is a business card-sized uh, card that, that, that it comes off. It's just stuck on with like a little piece of that rubber cement. Uh, and, it, and it fits into your wallet that goes over. It basically, it's just a discussion guide between you and two or three other people that you'll meet with once a month for breakfast or coffee or on Skype. I don't even care. But it's just a conversation starter between you and somebody else that you're comfortable with spiritually. Now, truthfully, because of the kind of access that you need to let somebody have in your life, we can't match you with people. You wouldn't want a total stranger sitting you down and asking you, uh, I'm almost at my prime. Uh, I don't want them to ask me, uh, uh, did you have a chance to meet the needs of somebody else? How were you generous understanding in your important relationships this week? Have your words, actions, and thoughts been pure, honest, and honoring to God? How are you putting God first in your finances and living within your means? Are you right now content in every area of your life? They're just conversation starters. But I need somebody who has this kind of access to my life. If you go in your, your, if you have the Grace Church app, and if you don't, you can download it by going to your app store and typing in That's Grace uh, or typing in Love, Grow, Serve, which is our discipleship process. Um, f f find our, our logo on there, download that, go to Next Steps. 
I believe the third option down on next steps is growth groups. Uh, and, and here, uh, there's an explanation of how it works, uh, which I'm not going to take time to go into now. Uh, you can open up your app, and it'll tell you how life groups work. Uh, if you don't want to download the app, you can go to thatsgrace.org slash growthgroups, plural, and you'll get all the exact same content. It's our way of helping you find somebody who will help you continue becoming the person that God always intended you to be. So here's the question. Who are the two or three people you'd ask to pick you up from Logan Airport at 2 a.m.? Because those are the kind of people you're going to put in your group. You see what I'm saying? A lot of people in your life group you love, you're going to spend time with, have a great time with. Uh, my group, we just went to a Mexican restaurant in Brockton on Friday night. And because uh, my birthday was this past week, they made me put on this big, stupid, ridiculous hat. And I think there's some videos out there in the, in, 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 in the interwebs that I, I will pay somebody to delete. <laughs> um, but like that's this, I, 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 I am coming to love all, like I'm, I'm enjoying getting to know all, every, but I would not ask every one of them to show up at 2 a.m. and pick me up at the airport. But those are the type of people, the kind of person, you need that type of Christian friend who's going to be the type of person who will be your spiritual workout partner. I have other stuff that I'm not going to take the time for now, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nix it and, and going to add that to your life groups this next week. What I want you to do is we're going to wrap this up by you praying and asking God to bring a couple of friends into your life over this next year, 2019, that you're comfortable enough with to meet just two or three times, like, like find two or three other people that you'll meet once a month with to hold you accountable in some of these, some of these areas where you and I are naturally weakened. So if you would, bow your head with me. So your prayer is, dear God, give me a friend that I spiritually respect that has a permission to call me out. Can you make that prayer? God, I'm asking you to help me find a friend who is also trying to follow you that I can give access to my life. God, help me find someone that will lead me to lead myself well. God, bring somebody into my life that I can call day or night for godly counsel. Somebody who will challenge me to read scripture. God, help me to find spiritual backup. Help me to become the husband you want me to be. The college student you want me to be, the wife you want me to be, the son, the daughter, the roommate, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the worker, the employee, the entrepreneur. Help me to be the man you want me to be. Help me to be the woman you want me to be. God, don't let me get stuck right here. Keep drawing me closer to you and to the person you created me to be. Do whatever you want in my life so that you can do whatever you want through my life. That is our prayer. We ask it in the name of Jesus, and we all say together, amen.